So there's a old but great story that my dad told me many, many, many years ago when I was a kid. Um, and I, I think it, it might be a true story. I'm not sure. Um, the story is that one night a robber breaks into a home and he's been casing the joint for a while. So he knows uh, that everybody is supposed to be gone. Nobody's supposed to be there. He's making his way at night in the darkness, going through the house, picking up goodies, right? Oh, here's a VCR. That's an old-timey thing they used to have, VCRs. Um, whatever, he's stealing stuff, right? And uh, as he's making his way through the house, from really close by him, out of the darkness, he hears a voice. And the voice says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to get you. Well, you can just imagine, I mean, the hair on the back of his neck stands up and he jumps in the air and he's looking around. He's terrified out of his mind. Who is it? He sees no one who could be speaking. And then he notices in the back corner of the room that he's pilfering, there is a birdcage. And in the birdcage, there's a parrot. And he says, oh my gosh, I think that parrot just said that. So he, he t- takes a deep breath, kind of regathers his wits, goes about trying to get some more stuff. And again, he hears a voice, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to get you. And again, he kind of freaks out, but he's like, I'm pretty sure it's the parrot. And he goes over and he looks at the bird. He's like, I mean, it's got it's to be the bird. It's not saying anything now, but it's got to be the bird. Um, and he, he kind of turns around. And again, almost immediately, the bird says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to get you. And he thinks, what kind of person teaches their bird to say that, right? Uh, and then uh, he hears a noise at the door, and the bird says, Jesus, come! And this 100-pound Rottweiler comes around the corner, and the bird says, Jesus, get him! <laughs> I love that story. We had, we had Rottweilers growing up. They weren't named Jesus, but we had so the, the, the point of that story, right, and the reason it's important for us is that um, the Advent season isn't primarily about getting ready for Christmas. I, I know that's how we think about it, right? And I know that we are absolutely excited about celebrating the birth of Jesus. That is what Christmas is about, right, for sure. But this season of preparation for Christmas is also maybe primarily a season where we get ready for this idea that Jesus is coming. Right? Jesus is coming back. And this is a central idea of our faith that somehow we kind of get lost, right? That we, we think about, sure, Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, but we leave out this really important bit that Jesus talks about all the time, that the whole Bible talks about all the time, right? That Messiah is coming. This is what Daniel's talking about and this crazy weird vision he has about beasts, right? Um, we don't have to go through all the details, but I hope as you read it, it was really disorienting, right? It should have been. It's a weird passage. Uh, and as Daniel describes these four beasts, um, we, we hear one like a leopard, one like a bear. You know, they're, they're weird-looking things. One, the last one is too terrible to describe. Uh, we, we are to understand that those beasts, and we get this later in the, in the book, represent kingdoms or nations or empires, Okay, uh, And people debate about which specific empires they represent. Is it the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks? Or the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans? We don't know. Um, but these are empires of men. Right? And this language of beasts is really intentional. But that they are um, humanity given over to its worst. 
right? Given over to the, the bestial natures, right? We've given up all that God designed to make us special and different from the rest of creation, and we've just kind of gone to our animal instincts. And I hope you noticed as you were reading, uh, even on the screen, I hope you noticed that something happens in verse 9. If you've got a Bible open and you're on Daniel 7, um, you, you notice you've got prose, right? The first six verses, or the first eight verses rather, are prose, just regular writing. And then in verse 9, we go into poetry. All of a sudden, verse 9 is in, is in verse. Right? Uh, and this is the part that begins to describe the appearance of God, right? And the, the verse calls Him the Ancient of Days or the Ancient One. And we get this unbelievably majestic description of the, the Ancient of Days. And it's, it's kind of cool that when describing the, the human empires of the world, we get just regular writing. But when describing God, we get beautiful poetry, right? This exalted vision. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but um, in uh, verses 11 and 12, we switch back to regular writing, back to prose, because we're talking about the human empires again. And God doesn't go to war with them, right? They're not worthy of going to war with God. He has a trial. There's a court, right? He has a trial. He judges the empire unworthy and the empire is destroyed. And then we go back to poetry again. And one, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, appears before the ancient of days. And to him, to the one like a son of man, is given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Um, the, the one like the son of man is not like the beasts, right? This is an empire that will last forever and is the best of us, right? It's the way things were supposed to be, not, not falling backwards into barbarism, but, but forwards into this incredible shalom, this great peace of God where everything is right, where, where sickness and sorrow and sin and death are gone, and people live in a right relationship with God and each other and the world around them. And this is the vision that Jesus uses to describe Himself, right? To say, hey, this is what I have come to do. I have come to establish that shalom, to overthrow the empires of the world and the worst natures of, of human hearts and to instill something different, right? Something extraordinary, something that we've all been longing for forever. And so the disciples say, wow, that's awesome, when is it going to happen? Because it hasn't happened yet. We've seen you raise the dead. We've seen you feed the 5,000. We've seen you walk on water and stop storms. But when are we going to see you destroy empires and make God's peace on earth? And Jesus says, it's going to be a little bit of a wait. Right? Remember that in chapter 21? He says, uh, you know, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. That's not the end. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of natural disasters. That's not the end. There's going to be persecutions. That's not the end. Just keep waiting. Uh, and Jesus says, um, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is really important for us, I think, uh, that Jesus is saying, um, yeah, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make it right. Um, your job right now isn't to win every battle. It's to be good witnesses for me. Tell the world about my story. Tell the world about my love. Tell the world about my kingdom that's coming. And to just endure, just be faithful. So in this season of um, 
Advent and getting ready for Christmas, we all have our favorite Christmas movies that we watch. And one of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. You probably knew that already. And um, I, I love the figure of George Bailey. Um, I, I was thinking about just showing that movie this morning instead of doing a sermon. I can't do that. Um, but um, I want to remind you how it starts. So the, the film starts, you're all hoping for a clip. There's no clip of, of this movie. Just stay with me. The film starts, angels in heaven discussing the life of George Bailey. And um, one of the angels, a guy named Clarence Oddbody, angel second class, is going to be assigned to help George Bailey in his life. And so before he can be sent down, he's given like a crash course in George Bailey's life. And so we see these snippets of his life, and we see all of these amazing things that George has done. He seems like a regular kid, except that when his brother falls into a frozen creek and almost drowns, he jumps in after him to save him. Seems like a regular kid, except at his job at the drugstore when Mr. Gower um, accidentally puts poison in a prescription for a child, he refuses to deliver the prescription, even though he's actually beaten by the pharmacist um, because he's not willing to take that risk. Uh, as an adult, we get this incredible vision. He wants to go out and, and be an architect and build great things, and um, he's going to college, and then his dad dies, and he gives up that dream, and he stays home to run the family business. Uh, and then he marries um, this incredible woman, and they plan their honeymoon, and then there's a run on the bank. Um, that's the family business. And to keep it solvent, they give up their honeymoon money so that all the people they're serving won't lose their homes when they're foreclosed on. And it's one example like that after another of these incredible decisions that George Bailey makes. As I watch that movie and, and watch his life, I think um, he is an example of enduring. Uh, Iris Murdoch says, at crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. At crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. This is really interesting. So um, at those moments in George's life and at those moments in our lives, it's not there that we decide what we're going to do. It's our whole life before and after that that shapes those moments of decision. Are we living our lives in such a way that we are excited about the coming kingdom of God and desirous of right relationships with other people and with God and with creation? And so when those moments of decision come, are we already ready to choose to be good witnesses, to choose to be faithful and to endure and thereby gain our souls? Or are we doing this sort of half-hearted faith thing um, where we get to thinking about God once in a while, but He's not a big priority for us, hoping against hope that when the great decisions come along, miraculously we'll be ready. Iris says, nah, um, you live a lifetime of readiness. You live a lifetime of getting ready for those great moments and great choices. Uh, now, this is about more than just being a good person and making good choices, um, because the message of Jesus is uh, He's coming back. And what we do, the, the rightness or wrongness of our choices, will be evident um, on that day. Like when Christ returns, it'll be clear that some of these choices were right and some of these choices weren't. Uh, and, and in the moment, it's not always clear. In fact, sometimes in the moment, some of the choices that we make look like losing if we don't know the end of the story. 
Sometimes in the moment, the choices we make look like losing if we don't know the end of the story. And this is the incredible gift that Scripture gives us, right? We get to know the end of the story. We get to know that Jesus is coming back. In every great story, there is a moment um, or moments where the, the hero has to make some kind of, of life-altering choice. And in that moment, that choice is usually incredibly difficult, right? There is a, a right and a wrong, but the cost of making the right choice is so extreme that not only are, are they afraid to do it, but the rest of the world might look at them and say, boy, that is the wrong thing for you to do. Um, this is Desmond Doss um, at his trial in Hacksaw Ridge deciding not to plead guilty. This is Luke Skywalker approaching the Death Star, turning off his targeting computer. Um, But maybe the the moment of story that most effectively captures this idea comes in another kind of Christmassy film. This is a story about two sisters. Um, One sister um, has incredible power but has really made a mess of her life and the world around her. And, and she is consumed by fear. And the other sister uh, has this relentless courage and hope and will not give up on anyone, um, even those other people have given up on. Uh, that second sister, the courageous one, um, has um, been hit by a magic spell that's turning her heart to ice. Uh, and she knows that only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. She is um, dying and marching towards her true love, this guy, um, when she sees her sister, and that's where we pick up with this clip. Okay, I'm not being dramatic, but both Frozen and It's a Wonderful Life can make me cry as I watch. So, um, the, this, this is the moment where we often are. Right? We're in our lives. Um, we don't know what's coming next. We don't know the result of our choice. And we have this critical decision, right? What are we called to do and who are we called to be? And, and, and are we perhaps called to make a choice that looks like losing to the world because we know the end of the story? And, and this is, um, I, I think, the great hope of our Christian faith. Um, and this is why these stories um, move me uh, because the stories of George Bailey and of Anna and Elsa um, and all great stories are great because they reflect the greatest story. 
That because in this is something that reminds us of the story of Jesus. Um, that um, the crucial moment for Jesus, by the way, crucial means out of the cross. Right? The crucial moment for Jesus is a moment where it looks to the world like losing. But Jesus knows He's a witness, He's enduring, and He knows the end of the story. Right? He knows that it's not going to be losing, that it's going to be winning, and the world would know that too if they could just see what He could see. There's a form of theater I, I've never seen myself, but I've heard about a number of times um, where there are two stages, right? Uh, and on the top stage, the very beginning of the play, the last scene is acted out. And after everybody watches the last scene, then on the bottom stage, the main stage, the play begins with act one, scene one. And the bottom stage goes through the whole play, right? You just watch the whole thing. But on that top stage, throughout the entire play, the very final scene of the, of the uh, drama is being reenacted again and again and again. Imagine what that would be like to watch. And then imagine for a moment that you're a character in the story and you can see both, right? You can see what's happening around you. You can see um, the day-to-day -day experience, but you also get a glimpse into that last scene. How dramatically would that change your choices, your action, your life, if you could see the way the story ends, right? From the very beginning. This is what Jesus is giving us, right? Jesus is giving us the privilege to know how the story ends. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to play, take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You see, people who know the end of the story live differently right now. I, I had a conversation with uh, members of our church a few years ago about Hearts of Hope, and uh, they shared with me that there was a time um, where um, we were collecting gifts and presents for children in our community, and they really felt God called them to get involved in that ministry. Uh, and so they went out and they adopted a whole family of hearts. And they said, Jim, when we did that, we really didn't know if we could afford to buy presents for those children and our children at the same time. We felt like that was what God was calling us to do. And that is a choice that makes no kind of sense, right? Uh, unless you know the end of the story. Right? And you know that at the end of the story, there are, they are all our children, right? And we're all God's children. Uh, I heard a, a conversation this week of, from a coach in our community who was talking about one of his students, one of his players, who came up and said, hey, coach, can we start playing before, uh, <laughs> praying before our games? And the coach said, well, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, separation of church and state and whatever else. But um, I, I, I mean, I, I guess if you want to start it, it's okay to start it. And so this student started it uh, with a couple of friends and then a couple more friends joined, and now the whole team prays before every game. Uh, and that's awesome, but it could have gone the other way. Right? It could have been that that student was ostracized or, or mocked or made fun of. Uh, and that kind of risk for a teenager doesn't make a lot of sense, unless you know the end of the story. Right? Uh, and when we're all going to be joined together in prayer around the throne of God, and then it makes all kinds of sense. I, I know people 
who are here today who struggle with depression and wondering if it's worth getting up out of bed in the morning and why should I go to church and listen to Jim talk for 35, 40, 55 minutes, whatever it is, um, it doesn't make any kind of sense, right? Unless, unless I know the end of the story and I know that even this darkness will pale before the light that is to come. This is the Christmas message, right? Not just that Jesus came once, but that Jesus is coming back. And that our job is to live a life of readiness so that when He shows up, um, we have been saying, Jesus, we've been waiting for so long. We are so excited to have you here again. This is the moment we've been looking for. We have been standing with our heads up anticipating this day. See, all great stories are great because they reflect the greatest story. When endurance sometimes looks like losing, but really it's the only way to win. And your life is supposed to be one of those great stories. Don't come to me and say, Jim, I got a regular life. Go live that great story. Go live that life of being a faithful witness, of enduring, of trusting that even the cruciform life that looks like losing is going to be winning because you know the end, because you know that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Thanks be to God. Amen.